Hi, this is David Helberg. Before we get on to today's episode of Rising Tide, I'd like to talk briefly about how the COVID-19 pandemic, the climate emergency, and the world ocean are all connected. But first, a reminder of three things to help fight pandemics. One, wash your hands. Two, maintain social distancing. Three, don't eat endangered species. You see, the destruction of nature, including the consumption of endangered wildlife like chimps, bats, and pangolins, has led to most of our recent viral disasters, such as HIV-AIDS, Ebola, and now coronavirus. Fifty years ago, I participated in the first Earth Day and remember signs reading, Mother Nature Bats Last. For months, scientists have been warning about the threat of this pandemic, and many politicians have ignored them. Scientists have also been warning about the threat of climate change for decades, and also been ignored by politicians beholden to big oil. But on a hotter, more crowded planet, these threats can no longer be ignored. Times of tragedy and disaster like the Great Depression, World War II, or our present moment, are also times of historic opportunity to change for the better. Blue Frontier's Rising Tide podcast will introduce you to people who are helping turn the tide of history with practical solutions and love of the sea. So stay safe and healthy, and big props to our frontline medical, first responder, and essential worker heroes. And now back to our show. Welcome back to Rising Tide. Today I'm by the water at the Richmond Marina in Northern California. National Geographic explorer and resident Dr. Sylvia Earle has spent over 10,000 hours underwater. A former chief scientist for NOAA and Time Magazine Hero of the Planet, Sylvia attended the first global march for the ocean that Blue Frontier organized in 2018. Backstage in D.C., Sylvia talked about what the ocean means to her. Following is 10 minutes of pure Sylvia. I'm Sylvia Earle. I'm an oceanographer, an explorer. Right now, I'm on the Washington Mall, celebrating the March for the Ocean, celebrating the ocean along with so many people who have come here to bring their voices to say, we care, that we need to take care of the ocean. It takes care of us. And it's high time, too. For the first time in all of human history, we have acquired a new level of knowledge, of understanding that the ocean not only keeps us alive, but that it's now it's our turn to keep the ocean alive. In my lifetime, since I began exploring the ocean, diving into the ocean, going on expeditions around the world in the 1950s, we have learned more about the ocean, learned more about ourselves, our place in the universe, where we've come from, where we might be going, than during all preceding history. But at the same time, we have lost more. Well, we haven't lost it, actually. It's because of our actions, our direct actions, mostly in ignorance, but sometimes even though we know, we have done things that have really not only been not in the best interests of the ocean, <laughs> we are the, going to suffer the consequences as well. Losing 90% of the big fish, the tunas, the sharks, the swordfish, the cod, the grippers, the snappers, and a lot of the little ones too in trouble, squid, very little regulation about how many squid you can extract 
and why should we take any <laughs> at all? They've never done us harm. Why are we going after those important links in the ocean food chains, in ocean chemistry? Now we know that's the key. That's why so many people have come, not just here to Washington, but in places around the world, marching, showing their spirit of caring. That not everybody understands the way those who have assembled here really do understand that when we do to the natural world means that we're carving away at our life support system. And we've been doing it ever since humans arrived on the planet. I mean, all creatures use the natural world, but there's no precedent for what humans have done in the past 200 years, especially the last 100 years, and particularly the last 50 years, and the pace is picking up. Never before has there been a predator in the ocean as comprehensive, as relentless as humankind, my species. We have deployed the weapons of war against the creatures in the sea to extract on a scale that would have been unimaginable a thousand years ago, or even when I was a child in the 1950s or before that, that what we're now doing, mindful that it is having consequences with our eyes wide open, we are causing the degradation of the very systems that generate most of the oxygen, take up much of the carbon dioxide, shape the planetary systems that make Earth the only hospitable place, not just in the solar system, but in the universe as far as we have been able to determine. So it's our home. What are we thinking? Destroying our home, destroying our life support system. So it starts with the water, but it isn't just the water, where 97% of the water is out there in the ocean. It's life in the ocean that has shaped the rocks and water over hundreds of millions of years, billions of years. So we have a planet that works in our favor. It's taken us a few decades to seriously unravel those critical systems. Escape to Mars? Good luck with that. I'll give, put my bets here on Earth where we've got all the ingredients. As worn and torn as they may be, it's still the best chance we will ever have to get it right, to find an enduring place for ourselves within the natural systems that keep us alive. Sylvia Earle is an inspiration. In these times of worries over the coronavirus pandemic, the election, and climate change, you should take a break and read an inspiring book, 50 Ways to Save the Ocean. Sylvia Earle says everyone from toddler to tycoon can find inspiration for action in this must-have guide to the ocean care. Actor and Oceana activist Ted Danson says it's a great book. It makes saving the oceans fun and doable. Written by David Helvarg, illustrated by cartoonist Jim Toomey, and with a foreword by explorer Philippe Cousteau, 50 Ways to Save the Ocean is available on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Now, back to Dr. Earl. So what are the biggest problems facing the ocean today? Well, it's easy to look 
at what we're putting into the ocean, the toxins, the excess carbon dioxide from burning fossil fuels, warming the skies, but also warming the ocean and driving a trend toward acidification of the, of the ocean. People think of oil spills as being a big problem. Well, it is. But the bigger problem, perhaps, is that other oil spill, the oil, the petroleum products that go into making plastics. When I began exploring the ocean in the 1950s, plastics didn't exist. Well, there were a few, but they were not throwaway plastics. They were considered valuable materials that were used for something that would be durable and not just used once and throw away. But we've got into the habit of convenience. What's convenient today is really a problem for tomorrow and for thousands of years to come because plastics do not go away. They break down into smaller and smaller pieces, but right down to the molecular level, they keep their integrity and become small enough to be engulfed by those tiny creatures in the sea, which are then engulfed by the larger creatures and right up the food chain, right back to you if you consume fish, but even if you don't, even if you don't, they're changing the nature of the ocean and it's happening in decades. So what are we going to do about it? Well, it isn't just this problem of what we're putting into the ocean. It isn't just the problem of what we're taking out of the ocean, although that is a serious issue. We're not just talking about oil and gas and sand and other minerals that are targeted for extraction from the ocean. It's the wildlife. I mean, what we did for so many years to the whales, but have come to see whales with new eyes. And there's more than one way to kill a whale. We're killing them now with plastics and toxins and ignorance. But all things considered, biggest problem. It is, of course, the large-scale extraction of wildlife from the sea. It is a large-scale deposit of stuff that is harming the ocean, what we put into the sea. But it's mostly ignorance. People don't know. They don't know why the ocean matters, why they should care. So, the ocean dries up tomorrow. What difference would it make to me? I've had people ask me that very question, and I say, great. Well, there is Mars, no handy ocean there filled with life. But when you really think about it, when you really do think about why the ocean matters, it's where the water is. When the rain falls from the sky, the ocean is touching you. When you take a breath, the ocean is touching you, since that's where most of the oxygen is generated in the sea. People need to know this, then knowing they might care. You can know and not care, but we are at a new level of awareness about why the ocean matters. Kids of today, the 10-year-olds, are armed with knowledge that did not exist when I was a 10-year-old, that nobody ever in history past could know. Smartest people who ever lived could not know what the children of today are able to access through the new means of communication. Every generation learns things, passes it along, learn things, passes it along. So we do not have to start from scratch. We are the most powerful, knowledgeable generation, generations of people ever to occupy the planet. And that is cause for hope. Using 
the awareness, the knowledge that we have, and knowing there's a lot we still don't know to keep exploring. But meanwhile, to take care of what we know really matters. Huh. It's the natural world. Nothing else matters if we fail to take care of the ocean and all of the rest of the living world. As if our lives depend on it. Because they do. And that's why Sylvia is known as her deepness, or sometimes the Sturgeon General. Less well known are America's merchant mariners. Some 20,000 American merchant seamen died or were wounded during World War II, working on Liberty ship convoys, moving troops and war material, often under attack from bombers and submarine wolf packs. Today, the U.S. Merchant Marine, greatly reduced in size, still remains an essential part of U.S. global trade and security. Nick Landon is a second-year cadet at the California Maritime Academy, one of seven maritime academies across the U.S. that offer college degrees and training for young men and women who want to serve in the Merchant Marine, in port operations, or military sea services. Nick, the son of a friend, is loving his education. Once I learned that there was a way to get a college degree as well as a captain's license that is recognized by the United States Coast Guard to operate merchant vessels, I immediately, um, it immediately became, you know, one of my top options. It's a big decision to make when you're um, fresh out of high school, 18 years old. It's a lot different than most colleges and uh, a lot different than probably your average high school experience. Um, there's a, there's a, you know, a dress code. So you, you're wearing a uniform every day you're in class. And there's also, you know, regulations that are, you know, prohibiting you from, um, you know, smoking weed, um, you know, being drunk, um, all the good things that, you know, growing up, uh, maybe I enjoyed a little bit too much, but those kind of went out the window and were, you know, replaced by a great deal of responsibility. Um, all of a sudden, we were standing watches on a United States government-owned training ship. Training ship's 550 feet long. It's um, an old Navy vessel from, I think, 1986, I believe. It was a, it was a sub-hunter um, back during the Cold War, so... It's a very fast, sleek-looking vessel. It's called the Training Ship Golden Bear. This past summer, we took the training ship uh, through the Panama Canal across the Atlantic Ocean to um, Lisbon, Portugal, stopped at the Azores Islands on the way back, and ended the training cruise in Galveston, uh, Texas. So along with your core liberal arts courses, you're getting all these maritime courses. Sure, yes. Which are like navigation, engineering... Sure, yeah. So they, they give you a bachelor's in science through the California State University system, along with, uh, upon passing your seven Coast Guard tests, a uh, third mate's unlimited um, captain's license. And Which means you can do what? means you can be a third, a third officer, a third mate on a ship of any size, basically any, any size ocean-going vessel. Um, you can be the third mate. It's interesting because you get a lot of regular college classes. Uh, right now I'm in ethics, 
and chemistry. I've had physics and history and English. I'm also taking classes that are, you know, revolving around the maritime world, radar, navigation, rules of the road, ECTUS. Um, ECTUS being? Information, uh, electronic chart display information system, I believe it's called, ECTUS. Digital charting. Digital charting. Um, and there's but a- But you also learn to chart by, navigate by the stars. Absolutely, celestial navigation is a class I'm gonna be taking uh, next semester, actually. I like going to class in the morning. Um, I wake up excited to go to class because I truly enjoy what they're teaching me. So this summer I'll be sailing on an oil tanker most likely in the Gulf of Mexico for a company called OSG or Overseas Shipholding Group. Super excited to have the opportunity to learn about this part of the industry and how to safely manage lots of oil on a ship. Coming in and out of port. Lots of coming in and out of port, lots of discharging and loading cargo, a lot of you know responsibility as far as, you know, making sure that you're safe and, you know, very cautious and have, you know, the highest regard for safety, we're going to be, I'm going to be working alongside a professional, a crew of professional mariners. So I'm kind of the uh, person who's being taken under the wing and there's a lot of um, responsibility on me to not uh, get in the way or cause a, you know, cause a headache for the people that do this for a living. Um, I'm pretty much there to observe and, you know, try and learn the most that I can in the uh, 100 days that I'll be there this summer. And I have every intention of making those 100 days the best 100 days of my life. Great. Plus being on an oil tanker in 2020 is kind of like being on a whaler in 1880. You might be the last generation on that, that class of vessel. Certainly. It's certainly an industry that is becoming less and less prevalent. I firmly believe that my life is going to continue to revolve around the ocean. I have no intent of stopping that anytime soon. I hope to use my license to sail as much as possible. Um, I hope to one day be the captain of an ocean-going vessel. Every morning I wake up at the academy excited to go to class. I don't feel like I am at a college where you know my classes don't interest me or I can't see myself doing anything that they're talking about. I'm, I'm really at home, and the friends that I've made are going to be my friends for the rest of my life. Thank you. Anything else? You should definitely, if you're listening to this and anything sounds interesting to you, you should go to uh, CaliforniaMaritimeAcademy.com. Check out the website. You can definitely go on YouTube and look up California Maritime Academy and watch some videos on what we do. It's yeah, a great, great opportunity, and... If any of this stuff sounds interesting to you, I highly recommend you checking it out and looking into it. And there are five others. There's a, there's Maritime Academies in Texas, in Maine, New York, of course. Uh, Massachusetts, I think. Massachusetts. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, we're Kings Point. I grew up close enough that I used to go see them yeah. play play the Coast Guard Academy. It was kind of the, uh, it was like a mini Army-Navy game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, California Maritime Academy is the only one on the West Coast. Um Texas is in the Gulf, and all the other ones are on the East Coast. So, kind of depending on if you love the left coast, check out California Maritime Academy. Absolutely. Hope that was helpful, and hope you'll join us for our next Rising Tide Ocean podcast. If you like what you hear, tell your ocean swim pals and mermaids you may know to subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcast. If you want to advertise on Rising Tide, 
or contact us for any reason, email us at info at bluefront.org. That's info at bluefront.org. And now back to our theme song by Ethan Kenvarg. Off in the salty ocean, off where the waves roll free. The sparkling water rises, then crashes to the sea. Out amongst the breakers, you'll have no need to fear. It's true, it's the blue frontier. Tear, tear, Off in the salty ocean, off to the blue frontier. Sparky, come here, buddy. Sparky, there you are. Good boy, Sparky. 